Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We are in a series called Work and Rest, where we are exploring these life-giving rhythms God has designed for us. Thanks for joining us. In, uh, in 1980, 1980, and when I say 1980, I think that's like nine or 10 years ago. But 1980, author Robert Ludlum began writing a trilogy of books that would, be, would go on to be made into major motion pictures. And in those books, there's a fictional spy who thinks his name is, do you know who this is? Jason Bourne. He has retrograde amnesia and he cannot remember his past. And at the beginning of the first movie, the Bourne identity, Jason Bourne is with a friend he just met named Marie. They're driving from Zurich, Switzerland to Paris, France. And during that car ride, Marie asks him a bunch of questions. What kind of music do you like? What do you enjoy doing? What's your family like? And to those questions, Jason Bourne responds, I don't know who I am, and I don't know where I'm going. And as the books unfold, a spoiler alert, so you can cover your ears if you need to, Bourne seeks to discover his true identity. He discovers his real name is actually David Webb, and by the end of the trilogy, he has come to terms with what he's learned about his past, and he casts aside his false identity, and David Webb says, I am no longer Jason Bourne. And he chose to walk in freedom and the new life that he was offered. Now, earlier this summer, we talked about what we think about God is the most important thing that comes to our minds. Do you remember that? We talked about what we think about God is the most important thing that comes into our minds. But next to a knowledge of who God is, a knowledge of who we are is by far the most important truth we can possess. Pastor and author Neil Anderson says this. You can see it on the screen. He says, the major strategy of Satan is to distort the character of God and the truth of who we are. But I love this. He can't change God and he can't do anything to change our identity and position in Christ if, however, he can get us to believe a lie we will live as though our identity in Christ is not true. And the reason that's important is because we all believe lies about who we are. We see this played out in all the false identities that we adopt throughout our lives, maybe even daily, right? Henry Nouwen was a Catholic priest and an author, and he famously said there are five lies of identity. I'm going to put them on the screen, and I'll leave them up there for you if you want to write them down. Five lies of identity. I am what I have. I am what I do. I am what other people say or think about me. I'm nothing more than my worst moment, and I'm nothing less than my best moment. Five lies of identity. I'll leave those up for just a moment. But with those five lies of identity in mind, and your mind's probably already churning about where you find yourself living in these false identities, we find our identities in all sorts of places, right? As I thought back over my own life, I've found my identity in being an athlete. I found it in being a good student, in being a son, in a, being a father, in being a pastor, Bad sermon, bad pastor. Good sermon, good pastor. I've lived an identity of failure and self-hatred when I've messed up as a husband or a father. I just 
jump into that identity and that is who I am. I'll never get any better. Why try? And I'm sure you can name the false identities that the evil one tempts you with every day. We can find our identity in so many different places. And I believe there's a correlation between resting and rightly remembering our identity. If you're following in your notes, it's because rest is a gift that allows us to remember who God is and who we are. It is a gift that helps us remember. We said this last week, but it bears repeating. It is hard to learn to trust God by going faster and faster, right? We need to slow down and rest in order to learn how to trust him daily. And the same is true for remembering who God is and who we are. We live in a culture that values accumulation, accomplishment, and performance. And because we get rewarded for those things, we run even harder after them. And it just builds into this false identity that we live with. A pastor in Queens, New York named Rich Velotis says this, as long as we remain enslaved to a culture of speed, superficiality, and distraction, we will not be the people God longs for us to be. We desperately need a spirituality that roots us in a different way. That different way is the way of Jesus. And he offers us rest. He's invited us into a new way of life, life with him, where we are not enslaved to the cultural expectations we live in. And that's why this summer, we've been in a series called Work and Rest. And if you're following in your notes, we're exploring the two life-giving rhythms of work and rest that God has designed for us. The past month, we've been talking about rest and specifically the importance of practicing weekly Sabbath, a 24-hour period of ceasing where we put down what needs to get done and we intentionally curate our time to worship and delight in God. Now, just so we're all on the same page, Sabbath, if you're following in your notes, is a Hebrew word in the Bible. Shabbat, it means to cease, to cease. And God commanded his people to Sabbath to cease from their work one day each week. Two weeks ago, Chuck introduced us to Sabbath and he taught how God from the creation of the world built in a rhythm, right? Six days work, one day rest. When we practice Sabbath, we're imitating God's rhythm of creation. And then last week, we talked about how practicing Sabbath teaches us to trust God daily and weekly. And this final week, we're talking about how practicing Sabbath reminds us of our identity, who we are. So to do that, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book in the Bible, so it's going to be towards the front of your Bibles, the book of Deuteronomy. If you don't have a Bible, we have black Bibles in the seat back in front of you. Deuteronomy chapter 5 can be found on page 144 of those black Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, take that home with you. Please, please take that home with you. Deuteronomy chapter 5. 
As you're all making your way there, just a little bit of background of where we are in the Bible. The, the first five books of the Bible are called the Torah, which means law or instruction, and they tell a story that takes place over centuries. The first book of the Bible is Genesis, and it tells us the creation story, and then we follow some main characters. You may have heard of them. Some are named Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And then by the end of Genesis, God's people, who are led by Jacob and Joseph, have moved to Egypt to avoid a worldwide drought. You can see where they've moved on a map here on the screen. They have moved from Canaan to the green part on the screen of Goshen to survive this drought. And after God's people move to Egypt, they're then enslaved for 400 years. The people of God had one identity in their time in Egypt. If you're following in your notes, the Israelites' identity was work. It was work. It was the job of slaves to work. Their very existence was predicated on their ability to work. They were human doings, not human beings. And their motto would have been work or die. And then God raised up a man named Moses. This is all taking place in these first five books. He raised up a man named Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. And you might've heard about the 10 plagues where the one true God counters the little G gods of Egypt and he displays his mighty power. God rescues his people out of Egypt. They leave across the Red Sea. God splits the Red Sea. They walk across on dry ground. And their first stop after leaving Egypt is a mountain called Mount Sinai. And that's where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments to share with his people. The Ten Commandments are given to show God's people what he valued and what a redeemed people look and live like. Right? God is not giving his people the Ten Commandments so the people can earn their salvation or earn a relationship with him. The people are already in a relationship with God and he gives them these commands to show them what free people look like. God loves us and God commands us. And these commands show us a way of life that is best for us. So did you know, trivia, that the Ten Commandments are found in two places in the Bible? Two places, not just one, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, where I had you go this morning. The first time is Exodus 20. And this is when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, and Moses shares them with the first generation of people who have left Egypt as slaves. The fourth commandment is first found in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. I'm going to have you read verse 8 with me on the screen, and then I'll finish reading verses 9 through 11. Would you read this with me? This is the first time we're given the Ten Commandments in the Bible. Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Let me go on. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. God starts in Exodus 20 by saying, remember the Sabbath day. And he must have said that because God knew the Sabbath would be something that's easy to forget. 
right? It's easy to get sucked into this 24-7, go, 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 hamster wheel that we call the modern world. We're to remember the Sabbath. How do we do that? By keeping it holy. Last week we said holy means set apart. We set one day apart. We cease from our work. It's different than the other days of the week. And did you notice in verse 11, the motivation that God gave the people for Sabbath in Exodus? It was creation. They are to delight and worship and remember God, their creator. Exodus 20 is the first place in the Bible the Ten Commandments are given. And then 40 years later, God's people are about to enter the promised land, right? The people who heard the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, they grumbled and complained their way across the desert. They didn't trust God. And instead of an 11-day trip from Egypt to the promised land, they spent the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And everyone who came out of Egypt, everyone who came out of Egypt, except Joshua, who will lead them in the promised land, has now died. They've died and a new generation has risen up. I love what one author said about this 40-year wandering in the desert. It pertains to us today. He says, when we do our own thing, we wander in the desert. We end up with a broken GPS and a nasty sunburn. When we don't obey God, there are consequences for disobeying God. Exodus 20 is written to the first generation out of slavery. And Deuteronomy is written to that generation's children who are about ready to step into the promised land. They're on the border. They can see the land God promised them hundreds of years earlier. I'm going to put a map on the screen for you just so we know geographically where we are. They are on Mount Nebo. And they are looking into the promised land, into Jericho. You can actually see what this would have looked like to them on top of Mount Nebo. They would have noticed the green. Oh, we can grow things here. This isn't the desert anymore. They are ready to enter the promised land. And Moses gives a sermon before they go in. The name Deuteronomy is actually from two words, deutero meaning second and nomos meaning law. It is a sermon to the second generation who were not part of the Exodus. And what Moses is doing is he's recalling the story of God. And as part of the retelling of the story of God, we get the 10 commandments given to us for a second time. I'll read Deuteronomy chapter five, verse 12 to 14. And then I'm gonna have you read chapter 15 in the gray box on your notes or on the screen. Deuteronomy five, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. And then would you read this with me, full voice. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. Did you notice any differences between Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5? 
Not a big difference, but it's worth pointing out. The first word that is different is observe. In Exodus, it's remember. In Deuteronomy, it's observe. Observe the Sabbath. It's a Hebrew word, and if you're following in your notes, it, it means to keep to watch over, to guard, or to protect. It's not just remember to bring something to mind. It is an active protection. It's the word used in Genesis 2 for Adam in the Garden of Eden. God is commanding his people to guard, to protect, to watch over one day a week for rest and worship. Not that big of a change, but it's worth noting. The big change and I bet you caught this, is at the end of the command. It's what we read together in verse 15. It's a massive change. So let's look at it again on the screen. It says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. If you're following in your notes, in Exodus, the motivation for Sabbath is creation. In Deuteronomy, the motivation is freedom. Right? The command in Exodus was about imitation. Imitate the rhythm God used to create the world. In Exodus, the motivation was imitation. In Deuteronomy, the motivation is liberation. You are a free people. And I love that God gives the why behind a command. The why behind it's important because if we're just given do this and we don't know why, it can just become a legalistic rule. And I believe there's several reasons why God uses this liberation language here. And I want to pull out the lessons God's people would learn from this command and the motivation behind it and what we can learn from the Sabbath and the motivation behind it. And I'll say the same thing I said last week. To learn these lessons in identity, we need to slow down. We need to rest. We can't just keep going at breakneck speed and striving for things. It's one of of the things we learn here. It's why we slow down here to spend time in God's word so that we can learn what he wants us to learn. And the first lesson that Sabbath teaches us about our identity, if you're following in your notes, is we all suffer from spiritual amnesia. We all suffer from spiritual amnesia. Right? God told the people, he promised them, and God keeps his word. His character is true. He never breaks his word. He promised that he was going to give them a land of abundance, a land that was prosperous, filled with milk and honey that we're told. God knew, God knew in their prosperity, the Israelites would think they could manage on their own. And what can happen is that prosperity can breed amnesia. And Moses is warning Israel about spiritual amnesia. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. We see this show up many times in Deuteronomy. A couple examples in chapter 6, verse 12. Moses says, take care that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Two chapters later, in chapter 8, we see Moses say, then do not exalt yourself, prosperity, forgetting the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God knew, God knew that in their busy schedules, 
if they were not intentional about, intentional about resting and remembering who God is and who they are, he would just get pushed to the side and they'd forget him and what he had done for them. They would forget, they would forget they were no longer slaves, that they were his chosen people. And that's why if you're following in your notes, Sabbath is the antidote to spiritual amnesia. This is the connection between rest and remembering. God gave us this fourth command to set aside a day to remember, to observe, to protect, to guard the memory that God is the one who saved us. He is the one who redeemed us, who brought us out of slavery, who loves us, who wants to be in a relationship with us. We remember and observe what the Lord has done in our life. He has set us free. Sabbath allows us to remember that. The second lesson the Israelites needed to remember, and we need to remember if you're following in your notes, we are not what we do, rather we are who we are loved by. In Egypt, the Israelites were slaves. Slaves don't get a Sabbath. Slaves were considered something less than human, a commodity to buy and sell. They only had value in what they could produce. And I'll say that again. They only had value in what they could produce. They worked all day, every day until they died. Language about endless work and restlessness is strung throughout the Exodus story. And God says, rest. Rest is a byproduct of freedom. Rich Velotis again says that the core of Sabbath keeping is not just rest from production, it's resisting the pressure to find our identity in productivity. We are not what we do. It's like God is saying to his people in this fourth command, you're my image bearers. You are not what you do or what you produce. Your value does not come from production. A.J. Swoboda, a pastor in Oregon, said this, Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do. Rather, we are who we are loved by. Sabbath and the gospel scream the same thing. We do not work to get to a place where we finally get to breathe and rest. That's slavery. Rather, we rest and breathe and enjoy God that we might enter into his rest. And that's why if you're following in your notes, on a day of Sabbath, we move from productive to present. We move from productive to present. And this is one of the harder things about Sabbath because we're so used to producing that we forget to be present. The Sabbath is a day of presence, of being present to God, present to others, present to creation, present to ourselves. And if you're following in your notes, that's why Sabbath is not just the absence of work. It's the presence of worship. It is an intentional rest, right? There's, there's, a, there's a difference going on here. There are days when we just decompress. We binge watch a show, we go shopping, we go on vacation, whatever we want to do to decompress. And those things might actually be restful. It's just not Sabbath, it's leisure. 
Leisure is good. But Sabbath has an intentionality to it where we are present to God, present to others, and present to ourselves. That can look like all sorts of different things. We sit outside, we work in the garden, we go for a walk, we cook good food. We spend time together as a family. We listen to music. We spend time with Jesus in his word. We journal. We read a good book. And we remember who God is and who we are and that we're deeply loved. Last night as our family uh, practiced Sabbath and we had a good meal together and lit a candle on the table, it could have just been a good meal. And it could have just been enjoying time together. And that is good But I asked one of our boys to read Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 and remind us why we were doing what we were doing. And then we talked about Sabbath for a little bit. Then later in the night, we sat out back and we watched the episode of The Chosen about the Sabbath, just to bring to mind the why behind the what. It's an intentional resting. I heard one teacher say this. I love this. Sabbath is one of the greatest signs of the gospel. You do absolutely nothing and God loves you. You don't achieve anything and God loves you. You don't perform and God loves you. And for 24 hours each week, we rest in that good news that we desperately need to be reminded of. We are not what we do. We are who we are loved by. The third lesson about our identity and Sabbath keeping. If you're following in your notes, is Sabbath is an act of defiance. It's an act of defiance, right? Let me explain what I mean by that. The the context of the fourth command, remember the generation would have heard the stories of their parents and grandparents living in slavery, of never getting a break, never resting. And Moses is telling the people, you're not in Egypt anymore. Taking a day to rest is an act of defiance against Pharaoh and his slave drivers. Taking a day to rest is a way of saying no to Egypt and its system. It was a reminder to stay away from Egypt's way of life, which was all about, again, what you could produce. The Sabbath was about leaving Egypt behind and living in freedom. And today, We live, I've already said this, we live in a culture of accumulation, accomplishment, and performance, and it's rewarded. And if you're following your notes, Sabbath is a way to say enough. It's a way to say enough. I want to share a quote with you from John Mark Comer, a pastor in Portland, Oregon. It's a little bit longer, but it illustrates this perfectly. He says, enough is enough. I do not have to work more. I do not have to buy more. I do not have to sell more. I do not have to move up in the company. I do not have to earn my father's love. I don't have anything to prove. I do not have to get a perfect score. I do not need another stamp on my passport. I do not need another bay in my garage. I do not need to be younger or more beautiful or have flatter abs, although man, that would be nice. I don't need to have my kids in ballet or soccer all year long. I don't need to make everybody happy. I don't need to get everything I want. There's no quota. The only slave drivers are the ones in my head. 
My value doesn't come from what I produce and my joy and peace don't rise and fall with my net worth. Pharaoh is dead. Egypt is in the past. I'm not a slave anymore. I'm free. That's what Sabbath does. It reminds us that we are a free people and it is a way to stand against and influence the exhausted culture around us. It reminds us of our identity and freedom in Christ and our break from slavery and everything we think we need to run after. John Tyson, a pastor in New York City, sums this up perfectly. He says, I want to be very clear. Jesus is not glorified or seen as beautiful or desirable if his followers are exhausted or stressed and worn out in the exact same way as the world. A restful spirit is spiritual warfare in a culture of exhaustion. Sabbath is spiritual warfare. What if God, right? I was thinking about this. What if God gave us a way of standing out as followers of Jesus in our cultural moment? What if God gave us a gift that was good for us and set us apart to a watching world? Wouldn't that just be like God to give us something like that? A gift that's good for us and sets us apart? We have that in the gift of Sabbath. We have that. And the fourth reason God uses this language, and we talked about this last week. If you're following in your notes, remembering the Sabbath points us to Jesus. It points us to Jesus. We read all of scripture with an eye toward Jesus because all of scripture points to him. The Exodus was about God's people being freed from slavery and it foreshadowed a time when Jesus would come to this earth, live a sinless life, die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin and rise from the dead, defeating sin and death and offering us new life. When we make a decision to follow Jesus, Romans chapter six, verses six and seven beautifully tells us what happens in our lives. It says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Because of what Jesus did for us, we no longer need to be slaves to our past, to our bad decisions, to our sins, and to all the false identities that Satan wants to tempt us with. We no longer have to live in that. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And God knows that we need to be intentional about remembering who he is and what he's done in rescuing us from slavery to sin and that our identity's in him. Sabbath allows us to remember and walk in the freedom that Jesus offers. A once a week built-in rhythm. God gave his overworked, tired people the gift of rest and the gift of remembering. And that's why if you're following in your notes, Sabbath is a gift to help us remember our identity. It's a gift. I wanna ask you, don't put your notes away yet. Just hold on to those for just a moment. 
You've heard us say Sabbath is a gift numerous times over the last month. Now listen, I said this last night to our boys and they had some surprised looks on their faces. You're not sinning if you don't observe Sabbath. You're not sinning. It's not a command that follows through to the New Testament like some of the other of the 10 commandments. You're not sinning if you don't observe Sabbath. It just isn't wise, right? If we see it as something other than an invitation and a gift, then we turn this gift into a legalistic rule and legalistic rules don't remind us of our identity in Christ. Even Jesus said this when the religious leaders at the time of Jesus turned Sabbath into a to-do list rather than a time to remember and observe, Jesus said to them in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath is a gift. And when it's seen as a gift, it points us to Jesus and it helps us remember our identity. And we need that desperately. So we thought about how to close our gatherings today and this series. We want to continue practicing together the rest Jesus invites us into. And that's what I feel like this time is after hearing from God's word. It's just, it's a time to rest, to exhale for a moment, to be reminded that God is always speaking to us if we just pay attention. And so what I want to do for the next several minutes is I want to invite you to turn your notes over. And I'm going to read this list to you. And as I read these, I want you to circle anything that stands out to you. That's frequently the way the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And then when we're done reading this list, I'll give you some time to reflect on what God is saying to you and some instructions. But as we slow down and rest, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your identity. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and something stands out to you, he's speaking to you that this can be your identity too. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are delighted in, you are rejoiced over, You are the light of the world. You are valued. You are a child of God. You are free from sin and bondage. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are clean and cleansed from your past. You're a friend of God. You are God's possession. You are filled with joy. You are at peace with God because you are reconciled to God. You are dead to sin and alive to God. You are no longer a slave to sin. You can choose not to sin now. You are an instrument of righteousness. You are saved eternally you are not condemned. You are more than a conqueror. You are accepted, victorious, and a new creation. You are the righteousness of God 
You have been crucified with Christ and made alive with Christ. You are redeemed, adopted, forgiven, holy and dearly loved. You are known. You are an overcomer. And you are in Christ. Now we want to give you just a moment to reflect on that list. What did you circle? What did you circle and why? Why did that stand out to you? We want you to take this moment of silence, this moment of rest and talk to God about why the words you chose were important to you. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.